Welcome to the Down Syndrome Victoria podcast. This is a podcast where we explore the latest topics of interest and bring you interviews with inspiring and knowledgeable members of our community. Welcome back to the Down Syndrome Victoria podcast. I'm Sonia and this episode is the second of a two-part series where we discuss living with a co-occurring diagnosis of Down syndrome and ASD. If you haven't checked out the first episode, you can pause here and click on the link below or catch up after you've listened. Today, I'm talking with another parent from the Down syndrome community, Melissa, who has plenty of lived experience to share with us on this topic. So grab a cuppa and sit back. And if this episode raises any questions for you, please feel free to contact us on 03 9486 9600 or email info at dsav.asn.au. Hi, um, thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Melissa. I've got my son, Owen, who is nine now, and my daughter, Ruby, who's seven. So maybe just tell us a little bit about, you know, what does your week look like and what do you guys enjoy doing together? Due to Owen's dual diagnosis and things and all the therapy and the extra assistance that he needs, so he needs... We do weekly physio at the moment. We do fortnightly occupational therapy and weekly speech. And we're trying to get psychology as well at the moment, but that's challenging. We're on multiple wait lists. My husband doesn't work anymore um, because otherwise we just don't have the time in the day to fit all of his therapy needs in, which is challenging itself, but it's also been really beneficial and it's been the right decision for our family to make that decision because Owen is now a lot more independent with some tasks like eating. Um, he's learning to make his breakfast in the morning independently. He just needs a little bit of prompting and minor guidance with the milk. Um, so it's been really slow progress, but it's um, it's what Owen needs at the moment. And Ruby is a very active little girl. Um, she does jujitsu two days a week, athletics, hockey. <laughs> That's a lot. And it sounds like yes. a very busy week. Yes, it's a very busy week. Dave does a fantastic job, um, I guess, managing the kids' routine, making sure that Owen gets all of his therapy and Ruby doesn't feel left out. So I think that's something that Dave and I have been very concerned about or been really mindful as we're doing all of these therapies with Owen and it can feel like we don't do anything with her so we do really try to prioritize that you know Owen sort of has physio speech and OT as I mentioned and Ruby's got three activities as well. Owen also does athletics with Ruby um, that's just something that we've started in the last couple of months. We had to find a worker to support Owen at Lil Athletics and he's really enjoying it so Correction, he likes being outdoors. Yep. <laughs> he's not into the throwing because he's still working on his upper body strength and his core strength, but doing the little tiny hurdles and maybe like a 100-metre race, he's um, starting to get a bit more involved, which is really nice to see him yep. within the community and they're doing their best trying to um, find the right balance to make sure Owen stays within his age group. Yep. But also that he's got like, you know, um, the equipment that's more suited to his needs at, at the same time. That sounds like a new adventure on the athletics track. Yes, it's yeah. been an interesting uh, four weeks, four to six weeks, however long it's been. Because I'm a nurse, I don't get to go and watch on the weekends as often. But it's really nice when I do get the opportunity to go watch the kids at athletics and see Owen out on the field with his sister doing yep. similar tasks. Absolutely. You know, obviously it sounds like you have a busy therapy week as well. 
and I know you guys are regional. I'm just wondering if you can comment on how hard it has been to find the right therapists. Finding therapists here in regional is extremely challenging. I think for us coming from, because we used to live in Melbourne a couple of years ago and we've moved back home to into the regional area, I think one really big difference is, at least in Melbourne, there's a lot more competition. Um, Therapy, strangely enough, is costing a lot more here in the regional area because they will charge a lot of travel costs um, but not offer a venue for us to travel to. Um, There's been times when I've been trying to inquire about the wait list and to be told that they're wait list is so full that we can, that they're no longer extending the wait list. So that was really hard. And especially being in an area that I, yeah, I guess I was very new to and trying to figure out what's a good service. We definitely had a couple of services where they didn't meet our family needs and the way that they wanted to run business just didn't quite sit with us. One thing that Dave and I have always viewed the NDIS money as that that's Owen's money, not the government, not our money, but very much Owen's money. And we get a little bit um, upset when people want to, it almost feels like they want to take advantage of a little boy's challenges and increase their profit margin as, as opposed to a holistic approach and looking at the family needs and what Owen's primary goals need to be. A lot of therapists here have started to realise that they are going out on their own now. So I feel like unless you're sort of in a larger company before you find the right therapist who then decides I'm going to go out on my own, do you get a really good opportunity to then negotiate some of the funding options? We've been lucky at the moment. We actually lost all of our therapists last year and some of the services just literally said we're very sorry but we no longer have a physiotherapist here on our book so we're no longer to offer that service to you and it's like what yeah (laughs) um okay right and then just out of pure luck we just got given a few recommendations and then all of a sudden I'm a big believer that things happen for a reason and within four weeks I then had OT at this beautiful facility where they've got like a rock climbing wall big pillows, they've got an indoor slide, the trampoline. There's so much equipment there and so many good challenges for Owen that it will be a space that he won't get bored in. And there's a lot of um, skills and just muscle building and coordination and strength that he'll be able to achieve. It's just, yeah, psychology is probably a big one. Um, We still can't get onto that. Our concern at the moment is Owen is getting a little bit older and stronger. He's becoming a bit more, it's great. He's a bit more communicative in what he doesn't like, but because Owen is nonverbal as well, and we're limited in how much he is able to use the iPad with ProLoquo, he can't really communicate what's frustrating him at that moment. So he sometimes becomes quite angry. And when he becomes angry, he is hitting or lashing out. So I've got a few concerns that when Owen becomes a teenager and we get a little bit, into that next stage of life. Dave and I are very conscious that I guess Ruby and I are at risk of being accidentally hurt. So we really need to get um, some psychology involved just to sort of observe. And it's not often, like he's really not an aggressive um, little boy. He's pretty cheeky still. 
and knows how to manipulate people in order to not do the activity. It sounds like it's about developing those strategies to facilitate communication in in an appropriate way, which I don't know what you think can be, I think, um, quite a specialised area. Have you found that therapists uh, understand the co-occurring diagnosis and how it interplays with each other? Or do you find that therapists really just um, take a holistic approach and meet on where he is and can work with that? No, I really feel like therapists are still learning about a dual diagnosis as well. So I feel physio is really good with Owen because they're probably used to um, having clients with Down syndrome a lot more. But when you add that autism perspective into it and because that for us has slowed that progression down because Owen might not observe as much of what they want and things like that or he'll run off and stim and he'll need a moment to decompress before he rejoins. I would only say that our speech therapist has probably been really helpful. I found our speech therapist, while she predominantly dealt with kids with autism, she was very open with um, and really talked to us about, okay, I haven't worked with a lot of clients with Down syndrome. Tell me what that means for you and Owen. Like really got our perspective on like, well, this is Owen. He's got these disabilities and these are his motivators. He often needs breaks or things like that. So she really structures his sessions around something easy, something hard, something rewarding and things like that. My speech therapist has definitely taken a holistic approach but I feel like just trying to reflect over like the last nine years of therapy, I feel like that is still something that is that um, therapists are becoming aware of that, oh, this is actually a potential. Well, while we're talking about that, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to learn about Owen's co-occurring diagnosis? Yes. I guess for me, it was when Owen was about 12 months old. I used to attend a My Time group with other kids with Down syndrome Some of the kids were a very similar age to Owen, give or take four to eight weeks. And I just started to notice that they were doing slightly different things to what Owen was doing. A lot of the kids would either be playing together or just engaging in their own way with one another. But Owen was almost more comfortable on the edge of the room observing them play. I did try to talk about it with our GP at the time and our paediatrician at the children's hospital. But I was just told that, well, my paediatrician in Melbourne said that it's really too soon to make that decision. And my GP pretty much told me that because I was at the time pregnant with Ruby already, I was about two to three months pregnant with Ruby, that I was hormonal and it was all in my mind. So that made me very upset. Yeah, 100%. After I had Ruby... (laughs) Therefore, I was no longer hormonal. I was sleep deprived. I just noticed more and more. So at this stage now, Owen was able to sit up and that's when I noticed more of the stimming involved. And I remember again at a My Time group, I was there with Ruby breastfeeding her and Owen was against the wall, rocking back and forth, like hitting his back on the wall while all the other kids were playing with one another and snatching toys off one another. And I just sort of looked at my husband and I'm like, Dave look at all the kids playing. He's like, yeah, isn't it great? I said, yeah, now look at Owen. He's alone. He's not engaging. He didn't want that social interaction. He was happy to watch it but not be involved in it. 
for me, advocating for Owen at this time was also challenging because in some ways with Owen's Down syndrome, we already had NDIS and we had funding. So my husband didn't want to seek a diagnosis because he's like, well, we've already got funding. And I said, there's a lot more research in autism than what there is in Down syndrome due to what used to occur in the past. So he was very reluctant. So I not only had to convince doctors, but I also had to convince my husband that we really needed to seek out this diagnosis. I spoke with my pediatrician and she sort of agreed that it was definitely worth getting an assessment done, but told me I had to go to my GP to get a referral. So I went to my GP, he put a referral in. What was, we weren't getting any, like we weren't hearing anything back. I was trying to chase up the children. So like, no, it's been referred back to your pediatrician. So then at the time, our speech therapist also worked at the children's hospital and she knew someone who used to work in that team. So she asked me to get a copy of the referral to give it to her so she can put it underneath their nose. I was like, great. Connections are very helpful. This is awesome. So I went to my GP and I asked the reception just for a copy. And I, like, I explained everything to them and they printed off the referral and um, same GP as before. This was the last day that he was our GP. And on our referral letter was mother believes son is autistic as he likes to play alone and live in his own bubble. And that's almost a direct quote because it hurt me so much because I felt like everything else that I had attempted to tell him why he didn't put any of those reasons down, didn't put any of that justification in, just did what I asked and wrote me off. And almost like trying to palm the problem off Oh, the children deal with that. So yeah, that was really hurtful. I got really upset. I took that referral to my pediatrician. So then she Googled where we needed to get it done because he already had Down syndrome. She explained that it had to be a tertiary diagnosis. So we couldn't go down the community pathway of a diagnosis. It had to be through a tertiary hospital because it was going to be a more complex diagnosis and things like that. We're like, of course, it's going to be harder. Sure. That's just how everything felt at this stage regarding trying to get this. I'm like, of course, it's going to be like this. And there was only one hospital in like all of the northern area that pretty much diagnosed all of the northeast and west of Melbourne, which was the Austin, Yeah, which kind of made me laugh because that's where I worked at the time and I had no idea. And I was like, no, so close. Yeah. Oh, the frustration was so high then. That took six months to get our appointment there. So there was like a head psychologist or psychiatrist and very high up speechy and very three highly professional people. (laughs) I think it might have been like an OT or something. I can't remember the third person, sorry. But um, they told us it would take three hours to do the assessment. After 20 minutes of spending time alone with Owen, so we were behind a double mirror. Yeah. We were just chatting to the psychologist. He was still in the process of getting our family history. We didn't even get to finish talking about discussing his questions and they've knocked on the glass and my husband's like they've finished they've diagnosed him I'm like no 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 they told us we're going to have morning tea but no um Owen just ticked off every single box got the job done quickly I guess yeah that was it then he was diagnosed which even though I knew it and I felt very validated then because it's like well it's not in my head it's not my hormones yeah but the, pro, the entire process of getting Owen diagnosed took me approximately two and a half years. Yeah. 
that is an extraordinary amount of time. And, you know, one of the biggest things that just stood out in what you've said is that, you know, you're a nurse working at the Austin and that clinic was there, yet it was such an exceedingly long and complicated process. And I just it just kind of screams to me if um, someone who is working at that institution and is well aware how the health system works has had such a difficult time, mm-hmm. how does everyone else go about it? <laughs> yeah, I feel like the word um, advocate is a polite word for fighting. Like that's yeah. how we call it. But when you start advocating with other healthcare professionals, they will very easily tell you to calm down, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm upset. This is me advocating, not bullying. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, the break in the chain was really my GP. Yeah. Not being aware because I probably wasted almost six to 12 months with him. Yeah. Referring me to a, a hospital that doesn't do it. So he did no research. It's no. like a, there's this real lack of awareness around people with a disability collectively among healthcare professionals. I think those of us that have a child or a family member with a disability and are healthcare professionals are probably the only ones who actually have awareness yeah. and consideration sometimes because the amount of advocating that you need to do at times yeah. is exhausting. 100%. And, and that's, you know, the other thing that stood out in, in the story of getting the diagnosis is that lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, GP, paediatrician, going around in circles. And then I guess once you did get yourself to a specialist team, it was quite an easy diagnosis to make for them. It was meant to be three hours. It was literally 20 minutes. And then we stayed for about another 20 minutes because, as I said, the psychologist had to keep asking us questions. So we weren't there so much for Owen. Yeah. We were there just to finish our part for their report writing. But then again, when it came to the NDIS, when we submitted that report, they didn't actually have Owen's level of autism on his NDIS file. And I said, how is that possible? Like you've received an eight-page report. I was initially told by the specialist that Owen was 4B because they explained there's like one, two, three, four, and then there's A and then there's B. Right. And we got told that Owen ticked every single box. And that's why he was 4B. So I'm trying to tell the NDIS, oh, he's, we were told 4B. Yeah. Um, there's no such thing as a level four or a 4B. So that was purely just the, um, the DSM diagnostic yeah. education that they gave us. So then I contacted the Austin to ask them to just quickly write a very quick report, just a one-liner to say, oh, and he is level three yeah. autism because that's what it would be. And I then got a full A4 page letter explaining how they could not do that. Mm. Well, I just wanted one line. Oh, my goodness. So then I had to make another appointment with our pediatrician in Melbourne. And I just explained to her, I said, they, I, I just need this one line. Apparently, you have to cipher this report out and you make that diagnosis. She's like, she quickly emailed me my one line that I needed and we yeah. sent that off to the NDIS. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Even after five, six years after Owen was initially diagnosed, 
like still fixing up the NDIS. They're like, oh, we don't we don't have these things on his file. I'm like, what do you mean? You've yeah. you got that diagnosis when he was like three. How do you not have that? Yeah. Thinking about all that, if there was one thing that would have made that whole journey easier, what would it be? It would be healthcare professionals actually having awareness of the processes on who can diagnose and assess children. Understanding that, you know, if you if they're looking at ASD as I guess a primary diagnosis, because Owen at the time his primary diagnosis was Down syndrome, understanding that referring them to a community psychology team is appropriate. But when we've already got a primary diagnosis such as Down syndrome, the health industry, for whatever reason, views that as more complex as therefore requires a tertiary level diagnostic team. And I really feel like GPs need to be much more aware of that process because that's who families go to first. Just hearing that from you, it almost be to like, you know, that first protocol is validating your concerns uh, and taking Absolutely. them. Yeah, yeah, because that's Actually, such an important springboard then for families and for, you know, what happens next. Absolutely. And just actually even acknowledging the concerns, but also the challenges that the family are going through at the time during this phase, like it was stressful. And there, there definitely is a moment of like a grieving process. So you are a bit sad and it's okay to grieve and be a little sad over this extra diagnosis. Yep. It's part of the acceptance process of being sad and angry and the what ifs and things like that. It's okay. I just think as well, that also upset me personally, because I'm like, I'm, I don't have depression over my son, but there are definitely moments where you, you grieve little moments and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, that normal part of that process, isn't it? When absolutely things are different or things come out of, well, you know, left field or an added thing. Um, that it's a natural response and almost needs to happen. It's really beneficial. It helps you to accept the reality, not just those, like I said, those grieving moments, but when you do process them, it helps you to see the light. Those Owen's got the best smile you will ever, he will light up a room easy just with make him giggle. Oh, he's the biggest giggle pot and he will light up a room. So you can't acknowledge those wonderful moments if we don't process those moments where we grieve a little and we do. And there's been moments in Owen's entire nine years where I've had those moments of grief, but then we've had really good triumphs as well. Yeah. And it's about celebrating what other people feel like as small things. Yeah. But for us it was really big things because of the amount of work that it took to achieve like finger isolation so we could get that pointer finger to actually use the iPad so therefore we could actually work on communication. That's just amazing. Yeah. He's really good now asking for the iPad. Yeah. Crystal clear. I want iPad. I want chips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, you know, when it is, you know, lots of things to think about and appointments and you're always working on something. Oh, there's always a project. Yeah, so that when those things happen that, you know, a goal's achieved or something amazing happens, it's so important to celebrate that moment and not go, well, okay, tick, let's move on to the next one. It's so important to celebrate them. Other families that you might be um, networking with, 
may not fully understand the triumph that you've just had with independent feeding or actually being able to use a communication device finally now. It is such a big win when you get those inch pebble steps to the larger goal. Yes. I'm very big on my inch pebble steps and we celebrate each and every one of them because it helps us to stay motivated to the bigger goal and keeps us sane while we approach that. While you mentioned a bigger goal, like I guess as parents and family members, we always kind of have that overall, this is where we're going. What do you see Owen's life looking like? Ooh, sometimes that honestly, that is something that fluctuates for us. We would love Owen to be a lot more independent in his activities of daily living. and But it's, there are some days, I guess, as I said, there's those down days where you're sort of like, I think he's going to be 25 and I might still be changing his nappy. And they're those bad days that I've said that you have, but then the next day he'll do something awesome, like make his own breakfast. And you're like, yes, woohoo. Yeah. We try not to at the moment to get too caught up because I think going too far into the future is something that for Dave and I is a bit of a trigger yeah. to cause a bit of a downward spiral. Even when we sort of look at some other people with a disability or with Down syndrome and like being able to live out of home independently with, with support or in like a group home and things like that. Dave and I really struggle to vision that. I think we have a bit of fear around that Owen's communication at the moment isn't exactly where we would like it to be. So we don't have a clear picture of what that would look like in the future. Yeah. And I think we get concerned about Owen not being able to tell us what happened we did have an incident at his school a couple of weeks ago where unfortunately Owen did sustain some injuries. Another kid scratched his face all over and quite distressing. He wasn't, but um, knowing that we just couldn't hear Owen's side of the events and the staff didn't see it happen, it's just like, oh, great, he just has all these scratch marks all over his face. And reality is, but when they can't communicate what happened, I can't help but still hold on to some of that fear. Yeah, and I think you're right, you know, especially if your person with disability is nonverbal, it requires a lot of trust with people that they're with. And that can Correct. be, and working out who that is and how to do that, I don't certainly have the answer, but it's you know certainly something I'm very mindful. Another challenge that Dave and I have found is that there's no community for parents with a dual diagnosis. So we often either um, attend like a Down syndrome group who don't have an understanding or an awareness about autism or we go to an autism sort of support group and they quite don't understand the challenges that we have with Down syndrome. So it's really hard to find that support network who understands you, who can actually maybe provide some helpful information. And yeah. if they can't, they know just to sit there and just let you have your moment is yeah. all we need. I think for those, for us parents with a child with a dual diagnosis, there's this, real sense of loneliness that we're not able to share our experiences and be met with understanding. Yeah. People might try. I'm not saying I'm not grateful, but when they're trying to be really positive and you're like, no, you're not understanding what I'm saying. And 
I think there are times when you're attending a support group, while it's good to motivate one another, there are definitely moments where I think it's best just to acknowledge, yeah, that's hard, mate. That must suck. Yeah. It's okay for things to suck. Again, as I mentioned before, it's all about having those moments of grieving and processing those down moments helps us to acknowledge those really good moments, but it's okay. I think that's something that I've sort of learned just through myself. Um, I think I was sort of, I kept yo-yoing a little bit within myself. And then I found that when I just, I found something about like, oh no, it's going to be okay. And I was like, probably really over the top with my motivation. I'm like, oh no, it's, everything's great. It's going really well. And it's just like, wow, we've been working on this one skill now for maybe 12 months Mm -hmm. with Owen, with his sort of dual diagnosis, he will sort of achieve the goal once he sort of ticked that off like two to three times. We're like, yeah, we're finally here. It's almost like he's saying, yeah, cool, I've done that. Now I don't have to do it again. Yeah. yeah. So then we get to this regression and then you get frustrated and then you get angry. You're like, you can do this, stop, do it. It's just hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think you're right. You know, um, you know, a lot of things I hear in my role in family support is when families come together or, you know, new families meet each other. It's that what you've described as being with people that just get it. Yeah. And that's really powerful and important. So it's not about, um, you know, getting more suggestions or more advice or have you tried, but it's just being with other people that just have that knowingness. And what, you know, what I hear you saying is that, you know, you can kind of be in no man's land on your own with not having that to lean on. Um, and, you know, and trying to dip your toe into that world and perhaps getting the, well, have you tried or work on this harder or, you know, and actually then perpetuating mm-hmm. this feeling of yeah. no one kind of gets it because we're working really hard down here. I say you feel like you're working endlessly and you're not making gains sometimes. So you'll go to some of these support groups and you might talk about it and they'll give suggestions like, oh, yeah, no, we tried that, but that didn't work for us. And, like, that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes we're so focused on supporting and providing solutions yeah. to other people as well that I think sometimes our problems don't need a solution right away. The problem yeah. needs to be processed yeah. yeah, and acknowledged. And sometimes that's it's okay to just go that far yeah. Yeah. and touch base next time on it, going, oh, last time I saw you, like, you know, you were, this was happening. How are you now? Is everything better? And then if the person sort of saying, oh, I feel a bit better about it, but I still don't know what I like what to do, then that's when that advice can come in. Sometimes we just want to talk to someone about our problems. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, you mentioned some of the triumphs. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What have been some of the positives raising Owen? I think Owen has provided a lot more patience for our family. We really have learned to slow down and I guess appreciate those little things. Watching Owen struggle to do what we take for the simple tasks, I think has just made us a lot more grateful for what we are able to achieve. We watch Owen constantly work really hard and there are days when he doesn't want to participate, but there's days that we can really see that he's really trying and it's not working for him. And we definitely reward that. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like Owen sort of like knows when he won't come up and hug me. I generally have to hug him. He won't come and hug me. But 
if I'm feeling a little down, he'll come and sit next to me and things like that. And that's sort of Owen's way of saying, it's okay, mum. Yeah. All right. But I would say that we're actually living life now having left Melbourne and we probably only did that because of his diagnosis. Um, like I said, our kids are really active. They're, we're doing our best to engage them in the community. They're both doing really well at school. Dave plays hockey. I've gone back to ballroom dancing. I, I haven't had self-care for like 15 years and now I'm, I'm prioritising self-care and we've got friends and we've got a network. Yeah. I'm moving away. Yeah. I think for us staying in Melbourne, everyone's so busy trying to get somewhere that's so far or they already have friends and family. So there's almost like no room for some outsiders. It almost yeah. felt like to us. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest triumph for us is almost leaving Melbourne. And like I said, Owen loves nature. So when we go to the park, he's just so happy, relaxed, loves going on the slide and the swings. Like they're his two favorite things yeah. to do outside and I would say we're, there's an element at the moment, despite all the therapy and all the activities we do, one thing we have now that I would say we didn't have before is fun and life. Everything's not a chore. Yeah. But I would say that our biggest triumph now is that for our family, we're living. So just wrapping up, Melissa, what's one thing you wished everybody knew? Um, for people to know it's okay if you don't know what autism or Down syndrome is, Dave and I much prefer people to ask a question. Don't pretend or assume. I think a lot of people are still using old stereotypes and old stigma. While there's been a big movement, I still think um, it's a positive start, but there's still a lot of awareness that needs to be put out there. If you're aware, remember not all kids with Down syndrome or kids with autism are the same. People are individuals just like everyone else. Focus on learning about the person, find out what their motivators are and find out what goals they wish to achieve. And I know when they're kids, that's really hard. So we always stick with the basics. Oh, we're meant to be feeding now. We're meant to be doing toilet training now. And we all achieve things at our own time. Sometimes it takes longer and that's okay. And it's okay to not be okay some days. Yeah. Thank you so much, Melissa, for being so open and honest and sharing your story. Um, I think it's really um, important that we do share our stories, um, especially when we're facing something that perhaps, you know, like we were talking about before, is you feeling like people don't really know what it's like. So, you know, if we can have that opportunity to share honestly and openly, I think that's a really great step forward. So I really appreciate that you've come to join us today to share that. Um, thank you for having me. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, thanks for sharing your stories and views on this topic. I know our community is going to get a lot of, out of this conversation. Thanks. For more information about Down Syndrome Victoria, visit downsyndrome.org.au slash Vic.